Hey everybody, welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents, the filmography of Amy Heckerling. I'm Kyle, here with James. And we're going to talk today about her first movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, before we do, James, have you watched anything? Have you seen anything since you've been, uh, uh, since we've last, yeah, uh, what have you watched? I watched The Lighthouse. Oh, right on. What'd you yeah. think? Um, yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I think I, Lighthouse is the horniest movie I saw in 2019, you know, in that span of time. And uh, yeah. I also saw Cats, like in rapid succession. <laughs> <laughs> the lighthouse yeah. is way hornier yeah no the lighthouse is like a uh well it's quite a relevant film at the moment because it's kind of about crazy people living together <laughs> or like you know roommates like nightmare roommates and then isolation with a subtext of they're in a relationship <laughs> is that so that's where you end up reading that right what's that Oh no! I mean, I I think, I think it's definitely if it's not meaning that they're in a relationship, it's it's using ideas of relationship like you know how much he cared whether or not he liked the, the lobster that he cooked him. You okay. Know? Like, sure. You sure. know, like I I need I need you to be like to accept me. You know, like yeah. <laughs> um, all. But it's. They're both called the same name and yeah, it's a, it's a trip. It? Yeah, it's a trip. It's a real, I, it's a movie that I'm glad I watched and I, you know, probably won't go back to again, but I do remember just being sort of like enthralled, you know, gripped by it, like truly mesmerized or all these synonyms that are just popping into my brain, but really just sitting there watching this experience oh. very sort of, I, I don't know, almost, I don't want to say transcendent because I like, I, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't love the movie, but mm -hmm. the way that it, uh, Roger Eggers is a really talented filmmaker. So his command over the sort of like pacing and the, the proscenium of that movie is really hypnotic. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I found it, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head there, but I found it kind of enthralling, but long. Do you know what I mean? Like I, so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it and it's visually compelling and I'm sitting there, but then also at some point I'm like, Oh my God, what is this? Like, this is quite tiring as well. Like <laughs> it is, it's pretty oppressive. I mean, because yeah. the waves are never not there. So it, it also ends up kind of being a soundtrack movie. It's just constant, just yeah. thundering, propulsive noise, this mm. whole movie. So it gets a little, I mean, it's tense. It's a tense fucking weird movie. Yeah, weird movie. Yeah, weird movie. that's what I watched while I'm isolated in my little house. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking of isolation, I, like I mentioned earlier, my internet's been out, so I've been fighting the good fight on DVR, watching yeah. whatever cable throws at me. And I can tell you this, an update from last week, Short Circuit 2 is a way better movie than Short Circuit 1. It has is a that, lot of... Go ahead. Is that the one with more robots? Like, many, many robots. Many evil robots. Johnny 6, 7, 8, and 9, presumably. There's a lot of them. And there's also mini robots in this one. 
So I, <laughs> I like it a lot more because it's, it's more like goofy, fun 80s. It, it, you know, it does that sequel thing and takes it to the nth degree. But also uh, Michael McKeon is in it and he's just having a blast the whole time. He's like a grifter con man who meets up with Fisher Stevens' brown-faced guy fresh off of The Last Heist. And then he kind of takes over the movie. And I'm a fan of any movie that Michael McKeon takes over. So it's a blast. I had a lot of fun with it. But it's, you know, dumb 80s fun. Uh, once the internet came back on, though, Megs wanted something kind of light and, and cinematic. So we... <laughs> I haven't finished it. She completely bailed out of uh, <laughs> uh, what is even the title? The Harrison Ford dog movie from earlier this year. <laughs> Call of the Wild. Call of the Wild. So I've watched about half of it, and she was like, "I can't do this. We have to put something else on." So we watched uh, The Devil Wears Prada, which is the first time I'd seen that movie. I don't think I have seen it. Yeah, there's a few like holes like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a bunch of holes. That's one of the, the <laughs> reasons that I'm not a very healthy human being. Um, no, I, um, you know, I wanted to engage with these projects to fill in some of these cinematic blind spots. So anyways, that was one of them. I wrote about it. I posted a, re a review or a, a post today about The Devil Wears Prada, which is a movie I ended up really liking a lot. And there's a lot to like. I come down really feeling like Anne Hathaway's pretty talented. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I liked her a lot. But the there's some questionable stuff in the script, especially the way that her sort of like supporting cast reacts to the news of her succeeding. And like I said, I, I wrote a review about it. So if you want to check it out, go to the cinemanerd.com and read more there, folks. Also if you want uh more nerdy shit follow me on twitter where i'm the chronic nerd and uh also talking about movies there that's yeah that's most of what i've i've watched in the in the immediate term so i don't know you want to get into it sure for sure i mean i so just straight into it i thoroughly enjoyed this film pretty good like, right it's it's once again that whole 80s thing where they just let loose, you know, like it's a, it's like this, the, the, the structure's real interesting because it doesn't have like the crescendo, like everything, all the set pieces coming together and then the big thing at the reveal at the end or anything like that. It's kind of a slice of life 80s film. Right from the start, they kind of, it's, it's shot in the 80s, right? But it's, Definitely. it's, I think it's 88, right? Yeah, I think like, it, it, but it like it opens with like a a breakdown of what mall life is like in the eighties, and it's kind of like the treatment you normally give to a film if you're going back a decade or something, you know? Yeah, I also was really struck by the opening. It's nineteen eighty-two, by the way, so it's really early eighties. Yeah, um, and it's a perfect breakdown of what eighties kind of feels like to me. Like, but it's yeah. at the time, so they're. They're not like looking back retrospectively. They're just kind of going, what's life like? And then, yeah, complicated story elements in there, like really complicated. <laughs> it like gets real. At its core, this is a coming of age story. And a couple of characters really, really come of age. I, yeah. Sticking with the opening for a second, I was also struck by it too. And 
it it feels a little gritty, I think largely because we're on location, but it's also, the camera is interested in sort of the machinations of their work life. So we're seeing a lot of like, you know, like the corn dogs being dipped in the batter and the, you know, slices of pepperoni going on the pizza. I guess I don't know what to make of that, but it's a little, maybe intimate is not, the, or gritty is not the right word, but it's maybe a little more intimate than you'd be expecting for a teen comedy right from the gate. See, I don't think it, uh, yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't think it's a teen comedy. I think that, that that's where this film, it, it's kind of like a, like a time capsule more. Like there is comedic elements in the film, but there's also heartbreaking stuff. And there's like, uh, just like, uh, like real feeling things. And uh, yeah. Yeah, like, it's very human in its interest and its execution. It's, it, it is very heartfelt and very warm. And I, I mean, I, so I also, I'll just say, I love this movie. I had seen it before a few times. It's been quite a while since the last time I watched it. Um, and I'd always had positive memories of it, but I was really impressed with it this time. Yeah, I, I think it's really, really good. And we'll talk in about why, I think. <laughs> okay, so I'll start there. Like I kind of pointed out, her Amy Heckerling's camera is a little loose. It's a little, it's kind of floating around and it, it's not just there where that happens. Throughout the whole movie, it's usually in motion, although she's not afraid to lock it off. You know, it definitely sits still for a while, but it's often just kind of got a little movement, the way that you would see more like television in the post-mockumentary um, era. And I think that lends into the kind of the human factor of this thing. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe you're right, because it just kind of, pulls you in a bit more doesn't it like feels a bit more like you're in the room not observing from it you know like yeah okay it does have like a human feel and maybe that's what i was missing like um, yeah I, I don't know if oh yeah it, it definitely yeah. feel because it's it's not super showy but it is willing to kind of like tilt your head around and and look at what's happening around the scene um, I was impressed with Sean Penn's character. I, I like, I just, I know people like that. In fact, like from some teacher's point of view, I was that, <laughs> like, sure. you know, it just, it felt like ridiculous, but real, you know? We've all been the Spicoli. It, yeah. Okay. So that's a, a great way to sort of illustrate this illustrate this humanity thing that I'm trying to point at because I really I also really like Sean Penn's performance here and he gets sort of reduced in our cultural memory as like the prototypical stoner surf dude which in a lot of respects he is but he gets moments in this movie as does everybody to make decisions to regret their decisions to feel proud of themselves to be celebrated so when he first comes in late and Mr. Hand embarrasses him, you know, like really dresses him down in front of the room, Sean Penn is hurt. And you can see yeah. Spicoli feeling bad about what's going on before he gets angry, before he gets defensive. And that little moment is 
the actor bringing something to the performance and the director showing us, you know, what the actor can bring and, and where that humanity lies. And it also, it's there in the script, the way that thing ends with Mr. Hand. Even Mr. Hand isn't yeah. just a stereotypical bad guy, the way that you, he's not like the, if you mess with the bull, you get the horns, John Hughes, Breakfast Club kind of teacher motif. He actually wants Spicoli to learn something. And when it becomes clear that Spicoli has learned something, he's like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. You, you gave me the time. You yeah. understand that Jefferson thought that was bogus? Cool, we can have a little moment together. And every single character in this movie gets that arc. And some of them are a lot bigger than others. And obviously just when, mm. so for me, I, I felt the same thing that you did. It's, it, it's like an ensemble piece. It's not really, it, it's a coming of age movie, but it's also an ensemble movie. And you don't see that a lot. Usually if there's somebody coming of age, it's one character who were, we can latch on to, right? But everybody has an arc in this movie. And mm. just when you're starting to wonder, well, who is our main character? That's when the big news comes, you know? That's the, the abortion plot line. Yeah, that's a, that's a heavy story. But I mean, it's so uh, like interesting how they handle it too, because it's very like, a little bit more real about it all where people just deal with it uh you know she tries to hide it the brother helps but you know everyone it's kind of like seeing behind the curtain of like what everyone hides away you know those stories it, totally and i really you know, like the way that it ultimately comes well it doesn't ultimately come for well i like the way it ultimately comes together too with him getting embarrassed um Demone. But when they're initially having that conversation, Stacy and Demone, um, and they're kind of negotiating, like, okay, it costs 150, you just give me 75 and no ride, right? Because Demone's obviously always working the deal, but she has, at this point in the story, she's already grown so much as a person that she is taking responsibility for herself and her role in this, you know, experience. And we, I don't know, it's, it's good. This movie's good. I think I'm having yeah, a little really talk is. about it because everything works very, very well. And it is a little atypical, but that's kind of Cameron Crowe in structure, right? Like his movies tend to meander and not really follow a, a you know, strong three act, right? Yeah, it was really, uh, I mean, I, I like the decision to not um, have the, the parents really feature at all but there not be any kind of side story of my parents aren't around or everyone's away or, you know like it's it's just not framing the parents very much like you know sure. they're, they're technically around for dinner and things but you don't see them because they're not an important part of this you know the framing no um, they're not yeah why would they be there they're not anybody's part of the story because the the big moments are being kept secret even from characters that are in this story right yeah not and I, I mean really i think it was a good decision i think it would have uh it's just you know if you'd put them in and you just just to kind of paint fill out the scene it would have just made it noisy and you would have ended up giving people time didn't need it and it was really well done to like just it's kind of like yeah, like I was saying, like seeing the kids' hidden life. Um, 
yeah it's it's crazy though man like in the opening when they're like come on you're 15 you should just go and sleep with that guy <laughs> it's like, oh my God. right but, and you like, find out we... sorry go ahead no but that's what it was like you know when you're young everyone talks like that kind of crap and then <laughs> totally and you know of course she's entirely full of shit the whole movie and that becomes yeah. more and more obvious by the end of of her story as well yeah, I, I mean, yeah, definitely had, I didn't have, have like a, a real jockey close friend, you know what I mean? Like I definitely knew those guys, but that wasn't really the, the crew that I hung with. But yeah, you definitely, all of the people in this movie are at once archetypical and human, you know what I mean? So like Judge Reinhold, you know the guy who's like a little dorky, but he works really fucking hard and he's probably going to do pretty well in life, but you know, he's going to stay in his hometown and manage a whatever thing, you know, that guy. Yeah. We <laughs> might have been the Spicoli. It, this is one of those things. Like if you look around and there's a character in this movie that you can't identify from your peer group in high school, you're that <laughs> character. So if you can't <laughs> the Spicoli, you're the Spicoli. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely know some teachers who would have said I was the Spicoli to the point of one time a teacher locked the door before I got into the classroom and I thought the teacher hadn't noticed that I was coming in and so I knocked and then I knocked again and I knocked again and so after about two minutes of knocking, he comes out like fuming and he'd locked me out on purpose for whatever. I wasn't paying attention. I can't even remember yeah. what reason. <laughs> but I was like sincerely thinking, oh, he can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I would have loved for it to escalate into just like steady pounding, hard rapping. I think it might have because I thought he couldn't hear me. So I think I was getting louder. And it... <laughs> I had a teacher my senior year who had a really similar thing to Miss, actually was a history teacher also. He was not nearly as uptight as Mr. Hand, but he had that similar thing where it was like, we got a 20 question quiz every week. This is how your grade works. These are the things. If you miss any of them, it's a zero. If you're at blah, 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 blah. And so he pulled me aside at one point, you know, not pretty early on in the semester. And he was like, look, Obviously, you're not going to come to this class a lot. So if you pass the midterm and the final, if you get an A on both of those, I'll give you a B in the class. And I was all right, <laughs> deal. <laughs> so I yeah. walked away with my B, pretty happy that, with that. Yeah, that's what this movie felt like. It was just like recognizable youth. Like, but uh yeah it just it did it felt real i felt uh it felt sincere um it does it feels super sincere and i want to get into some of the things that stood out for me let's do it right now um it feels really sincere and i think amy heckerling deserves a lot of credit for that and some of the the way that she pulls that out to me is spoken through inserts and there's a couple of really telling ones that like the perspective of stacy we're looking, we're viewing her from, sorry, <laughs> that was a lot of word salad. We're in Stacy's point of view, looking up at the ceiling when she's losing her virginity and there's all the like graffiti about disco, right? There's another one later on where she shoots 
it, it's Stacy again, and this time Rat, when they're on her bed, and she shoots, an, Heckerling shoots an insert of their feet, and they're both kind of just like twisting their toes a little bit, not playing footsie with each other, but being nervous, you know, there's a little bit of nervous energy in that shot, just in that little quick insert. And I'm sure there's a handful of other ones that I haven't yeah. called out here, but that stuff is all over this movie. And so as much as this, it, I, I keep calling it a, like a teen sex comedy because I, I think it, it really is in terms of like broadly classifying its genre. There's not much else to say about it, you know? It's a sexy yeah. movie, it's about teens. They're at the mall, it's a comedy, you know? Um, yeah. But for that kind of movie, it is remarkably intimate and personal. That's what we keep saying. It, and she really deserves a lot of credit for that. And I was struck by it, I was moved by it, I was impressed by it, really, really, really dug the work. Yeah, so I like remembered this film, uh, like I watched it a very long time ago, and I think I thought of it as quite a, like simple like can't hardly wait mm -hmm. like romp and uh, i was quite surprised how like um, much more like you know like sincere and you know heartfelt it all it all felt it was like it was quite a cool because i was looking forward to some of the other films that are coming up in this collection but this one i was like okay we'll just watch this and then move on. But like, uh, yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, it, sincere is the right word. I'm glad you keep using it because this movie treats all of its characters with sincerity. Even, it's maybe not a traditional comedy in the sense that there's no like standard comic relief. Nobody is always the butt of a joke, right? Everybody, I keep saying it, has their art. We're all up and down. I, I'm just kind of repeating myself, sorry. It's a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Go out there and watch it if you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you, James. Have you ever been to a pirate-themed restaurant? <laughs> no, no, I have not. <laughs> I haven't either. I've never been to one, but they seem to be like a tropey reality. And I just, somebody has to have actually been inside of one, right? As an outsider. Go ahead. The tropey pirate restaurant is what america kind of <laughs> so like if you're like if you're summing up like middle america you're like <laughs> some kind of themed restaurant if you like deep fried food and all sorts of wacky stuff on the wall we got you covered that's the one, that's the one. okay but yeah, i have two like, questions for you one mm -hmm. How do you feel about Robert Romanus as uh, Damani? Is my, am I getting that right? Yeah, I think it's Damani. Yeah, uh, he, he does a, a great job, doesn't he? He's like, um, oh, sorry, for me, I just, I thought he, uh, he feels like, like the guy, sorry, I'm blanking. The guy who plays Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. He's got that, like, uh, Brat pack kind of thing going on, um, yeah, and then the art was solid because he starts off being quite cool and in control, and every situation he's calm, and then as the story goes on, he kind of, he kind of reveals that he's a bit of a, a sleazy like <laughs> douche kind of. Totally, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I end up liking the performance also. I do think it's a little kind of bouncy up front, uh, but obviously that's a choice. I think that's what we're going for here because he is doing his bravado thing. Yeah, and then it all falls apart and you kind of see behind the facade and you're like, oh, so he was, he was really kind of... Right, because those scenes are, are great, you know? So he's capable of delivering a really natural performance. He's just, you know, he's, he's being a guy. He's doing a thing. He's in high school trying on a personality. Yeah. Really good stuff. My thing is that he immediately struck me as like a 28-year-old. And obviously everybody in this movie is a few years older, but he was the one that really stood out to me as like, no way that guy is in high school. This dude is probably already divorced and maybe owes money to a bookie. So I took them as uh, 18, 19. That's where they're trying to be. And then, you know, like, as, as it's hard to get people that age to actually be able to act, I, I kind of assumed that everyone was 23. Yeah. But my suspicion of disbelief kicked in pretty quick with that. But I can see that he's one of the hardest ones to, to do it. But He was the um, only one that bumped me, but he bumped me really hard but, because he's such a strong presence anyway. Yeah. yeah. Judge Reinhold certainly feels like he's out not in high school in this yeah movie. i think that's because he's 11 feet tall <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. he does kind of stoop to like fill it, to get into get into shot <laughs> also speaking of getting in frame nicholas cage is in this movie for one shot no yeah really? yeah he's like flipping burgers at one of the restaurants with judge reinhold ah I'll have to go back and watch it. A reason <laughs> to do it again. Yeah. If we ever do a following Nick Cage, we'll have to put this film into the... <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be a journey. Yeah. yeah. My God. Uh, a couple but other no. quick notes. I thought the uh, football action was pretty good in this movie when uh, Forrest Whitaker is just smashing people because of Spicoli's actions with his car. Oh, yeah. But I thought the football stuff was really good. Uh, I mean, it gets a little long in the tooth and kind of repetitive motions, but it, it feels like action. I was at least delighted yeah, by it. And it was a good, like, once again, like, tone shift. Like, it was, <laughs> a, it was like a different movie for a little window. And so you're looking into his world. Totally. And then, you know, and then it's, yeah. Every, that's like every single character Forrest Whitaker is in three scenes in this movie and he has an arc he gets yeah. to be a person you know we know stuff about him and I just watched well so like I mentioned the princess diaries no sorry I keep doing that the devil wears Prada earlier and I like that movie a lot but it suffers from really thin characterization which is like can you tell me anything about any of these people that is not their job title <laughs> yeah. and you can't because nobody is anything but a job in that movie and in this movie where every where we have the jock we have the dork we have the stoner we have the this you know the hot chick we have the whatever I, you know i'm running out of archetype or you know tropey archetypes 
but they all get a moment. They all get an arc. They're all actual human beings. Mm. Really, really good stuff. One more thing I want to bring up is the soundtrack work here, which I think is really, really good and would be tempting to chalk up to Cameron Crowe. I'm sure he wrote soundtrack notes into the script of this movie because obviously his career is so associated with music. But Amy Heckerling, I'm thinking of Clueless because it's the only other movie in her filmography that I know really well. And Clueless has an amazing soundtrack. It sure does. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, that was my excitement about doing Amy Heckerling is that I freaking love that movie. Like, I know. I haven't watched it in a long time, but man, Clueless, it's so fucking good. I watch Clueless probably once a year, maybe sometimes more, you know, if I'm like in a mood. I've seen that movie a bunch of times. I think it's really, really, really excellent. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't write the songs, he gave you the feeling of what, like when he was writing the the book uh, screenplay, um, you know, it would certainly give the like idea of th- this is fast, cut around, you know, these right. kind of things when you put a song in. But yeah, whoever made the decision, it feels right. Like it's it's quintessential, you know, like it. it <laughs> I love the Jackson Brown song. Like the first time it came on, I was like, oh, this is a great song and not a deep cut, but it's not a go to Jackson Brown song. And then it becomes a joke by the end of the movie. And it's funny every time. It's so good, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, lo- yeah. I don't know what else to say. I really enjoyed it. I think everyone really did a good job. Um, so Phoebe Cates, I didn't know her name, but she was like one of my favorites from a movie when I was a kid. Uh, this movie course. called Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that Drop Dead Fred recently. Oh, have you? Yeah. And I oh, shout out to everybody's favorite show, How Did This Get Made? Are you a fan of that one? <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. No. It's a podcast. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a bad movie podcast. And it's, you know, Jason Manzukis and uh, oh, yeah. also Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael. And they have an episode on drop dead Fred that got like really controversial because it became a question about is she insane or is you know what's the like reality limit of this movie so I it became such a part of their lore that they were mentioning it in other episodes so I was (laughs) listening to some other thing and was just like I gotta see this fucking movie so I have watched drop dead Fred and I'll tell you it is my favorite Phoebe Cates movie because it not only features Carrie Fisher, it takes place in Minneapolis, my hometown. All right, All right. that's great. <laughs> it, um, no, I mean, just Rick Mail, Baby Cates. It was just a, from a, as a kid, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life, but I just really liked it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. It's a bonkers I'll movie. have to watch it again. It's probably like terrible. <laughs> uh, I like, if I'm trying to be as objective as I can, I'm, I, it's not terrible. It's not. It's definitely not a great movie. Um, Good. But they, it's really, you know, like with so many, especially 80s and 90s comedies, 
it's really impossible to watch it now without asking questions like, well, wait, what? In terms of the, the, the implication, you know, the politics that are implied by the decisions these characters are making is just <laughs> in, in, an intense conversation to say the least. Yeah, nice. Yeah, All right. anyways. So that has been Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It went by fast. This movie, uh, you know what, it just popped into my mind, so I'm going to say it. One of the really nice little touches that, that shows the humanity in this movie is Spicoli buying brand new vans for the prom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this he is cares, it. Man. Um, Everybody cares. Yeah, totally, like, everyone's trying, like, Spicoli, like, trying. it's like their own special way of trying, but you're right, like, buying new vans, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna look fucking sweet, yeah, and he shows up in, like, the Hawaiian shirt with the vans, and he's like, yeah, I nailed it, and the like, way that Spicoli is not there to be the ironic douchebag is the way this movie is not trying to treat its characters. It genuinely cares. I love this movie. So glad we watched it. So glad we got to start off Amy Heckerling with such a strong entry, man. This was really, really yeah. good. So looking Great. forward to, is it Look Who's Talking next? No, I think, well, if we're doing it in order, it'll be Johnny Dangerously. Cool. I've never even heard of this film. So I'm going to be new to me. So join us next week when we talk about Johnny Dangerously. Mm -hmm.